0: You're listening to The Morning Muster, where we get sailors together to listen to the weather report and, well, to talk about the most important topics of the day. So grab a cup of hot chai. Or a coffee. I'm Teresa Carey. And I'm Ben Carey.
1: This podcast is produced by Morse Alpha. We offer rigorous coastal and offshore sail training expeditions. Check out morsealpha.com. Our friends, Katie and Lyle at SunPowered Yacht helped us expand our solar array. They're SunPower authorized dealer and offer both flexible panels and fixed frame panels ranging from 50 watts to 410 watts. These are super high efficiency solar panels, which means more power in less space. Katie and Lyle are both sailors and have lived off the grid for over eight years. They provide free consultation to help you size and build a DIY system. Check out their website for more info sunpoweredyachts.com, and use the promo code MORSEALPHA to get 10% off their flexible
0: panels. Welcome to The Morning Muster. I'm Teresa Carey. Today we're talking about engineless sailing, Uh, not the kind of engineless sailing that all sailors do or will eventually do when their engine dies or in a dinghy for a few hours. We're talking about cruising without an engine on purpose. Um, I've done a little bit of this in pulling boats, but I have two guests with me that are real pros, and I'm excited to learn from them. Shamaya Laurel is also a Mainer like myself. She sails Penobscot Bay area and the islands of Maine. You might see her in a distinct junk-rigged sailboat or a sailing barge in coastal Maine. She's done many trips without an engine for weeks at a time. And I also have Adam Cove with me today. He's currently in the Caribbean. He sailed there in an engineless boat all the way from Maine. We saw him last summer here. And uh, I know Adam originally when he helped us with our steering cables when he was with Edson Marine. And so, my first question, Adam, is going to be for you. Um, I know that you're a naval architect, you could fix an engine, it's not a mystery for you. You know equipment and you deal in equipment. So, why did you decide to go engineless?
2: Well, it, it's mostly for the fun of it Um, in the challenge. Uh, It's kind of a different state of mind when you're out there without an engineer. You're you're fully dialed into the moment, kind of in sync with the environment around you. I just find completing a passage without it is just much more rewarding. And it it does require a lot more planning, thinking ahead. But ultimately, those passages I I found have even been safer um, because you do plan around things and and make sure you don't put yourself in a tough situation.
0: That's really interesting that you say that you find those passages to be safer because a lot of people would choose not to go without an engine because they don't feel safe doing so.
2: Yeah, it's um in perhaps in this day and age with the connectivity people, you know, on the fly just, you know, pull up an app, see what the currents are doing and if it's against you, say, well, we're still going anyway through that cut. Even though it's 4 knots against you, 5 knots against you, and what they're not considering is Did they actually perform proper maintenance on the engine? Is it going to get clogged? And if that engine dies partway through there, are they just as prepared to to hoist up a sail to recover from that mistake, Um, or are they not in that mindset at all? And are they going to end up on the rocks? Mm -hmm. You know, it's if you're in that mindset that you don't have that plan to fall back on, the the route you take might even change. You you might say, "Well, you know, we're going to go all the way around. It's an extra three miles, but it's just not a, a safe route to take today."
3: Shamaya, why did you decide to sail without an engine? Partly because it's so elegant, you know, to just work with the wind. But I also had extra inspiration because I had a goal for a really long time to do the race to Alaska. And that requires having no engine on the boat. And it requires getting into Victoria Harbor, which does not allow you to put your sails up. So you have about a mile that you have to get there somehow, with no sails and no engine. And I just thought the whole thing was totally intriguing. So it kind of shaped my learning more about sailing as I got further and further into it, to be able to do that. And then I just liked it. I I really, really enjoy it. So
0: Did you end up doing the race to Alaska?
3: No, I came so close. I came so, so close. I was all entered, and mm-hmm. it was too complicated to get across the country mm-hmm. but it, but entered things all working out to to make it go it was very interesting to think about
0: And did both of you I know Adam you said you grew up sailing on dinghies did both of you start in small boats like that to learn the basics of engineless sailing or how do you get into it what would you suggest for someone who wants to get into it
2: Well I I was kind of lucky and I grew up in a sailing with a community boating program. And there there are so many across the country. And the cost of entry is, is so low to be able to get into that. You know, it's certainly worth a shot. And if not, there's, you know, I I still frostbite in dinghies. And and even to pick one up, you know, on the used market, you can certainly find something pretty affordable. But it, it really does teach the fundamentals of sailing and the fundamentals of engineless sailing, you know, to learn how to maneuver your boat in tight spaces with just your sails. You know, techniques just as, you know, as simple as when you're sailing off anchor or off the mooring, to be able to know to back your jib in order to, to move the boat one direction or another. You know, I, I don't think anything of that now, you know, I'm sure people who are used to using their motor all the time don't even consider something like that. You know, it's interesting that the program I grew up with, um, Yarmouth Sailing, we had um, my boss there. If anything went wrong while we were on the water, and this is while I was learning and then when I was actually teaching there too. Uh, He would tell us to figure it out and and basically meant he was going to watch us from afar. But if we were an hour, two hours late coming back in, he was okay with that um, because of the lessons that it taught us. And that was kind of the the basics of seamanship for me and creative problem solving that I learned that that you have to learn in dinghies. And you can scale that right up to a, a larger boat, all those fundamentals.
3: Yeah, I totally agree with that. Shamaya, can you tell me about your transition to engineless? Well, also, I started engineless mm-hmm. as far as starting in more or less a dinghy, an O'Day Wigeon, which is a small 12-foot boat with a jib. And my dad mostly taught me to sail. And he did things that now I look at and I think were kind of insane. But we, I learned a lot. <laughs> he thought it was OK. We sailed on the Connecticut coast out of Stonington. And he thought it was okay to go out in that boat on a day with a good wind and sail around Fisher's Island, which is about seven miles long. And on the outside, you're, you're on the open ocean and you have to go back through the race, which is a very high current area at one end of Fisher's Island, and then all the way back through Fisher's Island Sound. And sometimes the wind would die and we'd get back way after dark. And you learn a ton. You learn an absolute ton. And they used to let me go out. I don't know why they did this. They used to let me go sailing by myself out of Stonington Harbor when I was about 12 with the Widgeon. And they never said, don't go outside the breakwaters. <laughs> <You> know. <laughs> and Stonington's a pretty tough place to sail. It is a little bit. It's got current and... Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And you
0: can always count on fog there.
3: <laughs> yep, that too. We had some really foggy times. So so you learn a ton. But like what Adam said, you, mm-hmm. you learn so much going on and off of moorings with the dinghy and using the jib to shift the boat where you want it to go. All of that applied to the bigger boats.
0: Mm-hmm. But I want to point out, though, that a dinghy is a great place to learn all sailing skills. But if you run a dinghy up onto a sandbar, you can just put your boots on and get out of the boat and push it off. And so eventually when you transition into a bigger boat, it's a whole different ballgame because you can't do that. Like when I had my first boat, I, I always treated it like it was glass. I mean, not fiberglass, but like a wine glass, like so delicate. I didn't even want to hit a piece of seaweed. I was always nervous. And so how do you overcome that? Were you, did you guys feel the same way when you went from a dinghy? to a cruising boat that was, that needed a little more care and handling.
2: Well, I mean, that, that's kind of what makes a dinghy the perfect learning platform. And, and Shemai, what's really neat is my first boat was also an O-day Widgeon. Oh, wow. Um, so really neat there. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, great little boat, so perfect for learning on um, and pretty indestructible, rock solid. But yeah, I, I think, it, it, Teresa, I, I, I've certainly made my fair share of mistakes on dinghies and well, larger boats too, for that matter. Um, I think we all have. But you you eventually reach that point where you have a greater amount of confidence that you can carry into a larger boat and i I didn't start sailing engineless right away in larger boats and i was I was crewing on other people's to start off. So you know you you, know, you kind of slowly ease into it. It's not all of a sudden a, a very sudden change. You really have to build up that skill set, that knowledge, um, that overall level of seamanship over time.
3: Yeah, and that was that was true for me too. but I did what I considered motorless in training. And, um, so I had a, I had a somewhat bigger boat with a diesel originally, and I would practice how long I could go without turning on the motor. And then later another boat had an, an electric motor that was small. And I would really try to not turn that on because it's kind of bad for a diesel engine to not run it for two weeks and then hope it's going to start happily, you know. So the electric motor, you could just turn on momentarily if you if you needed it. So I would practice to not need to do that and gradually, you know, each time you find, oh, I do have to turn it on or I'm going to end up in that breakwater or something. You turn it on, you get out of the situation and you get to think through, okay, how could I have done that differently? How could I have thought ahead more or made a different decision somewhere along the way so i could have gotten out of that without the motor and so gradually i got so i was turning on the motor less and less and less mm-hmm. yeah
2: and I, I kind of followed that progression mm-hmm. on my boat too shamaya i when i bought my Luters 33 I, I had an inboard diesel diesel and uh i sailed with it for a couple seasons with that um and i was doing the same thing i, I wasn't running it very often at all um, and, and as you said, that's the worst thing you can do for a diesel engine. <laughs> right,
3: right. <Yeah.
2: laughs> so I ended up pulling it right out of the boat um, and and so completely engineless for years. And um, and sorry, Teresa, making a quick correction to the uh, the introduction, I did have an electric inboard when I sailed down here, but I didn't turn it on once. Um, so I, I sailed engineless, mm, but
0: had it. The plot thickens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: so I do have an electric inboard we'll forgive,
0: now. We'll forgive you for this one. <laughs> um,
2: but I, I don't think other than... Turning the prop just so nothing grows on it. Occasionally, um, you know, for for five seconds or something like that. I I really haven't used it down here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if we end up needing that, it's, it's probably like well, we probably shouldn't be doing that. We're going to some very narrow cut or something like that, like Demarest Cove up in uh, in Maine, um, going up that cut. Mm-hmm. You know that that can be if the wind's coming straight out of the north. There's no other way to get up there. Um, you can't short tack that one unless you're in a dinghy, probably.
0: Yeah, I want to point out for people that are listening who aren't familiar with this area that both of my guests today are have sailed in Maine. And so they're sailing engineless and they're sailing in one of the more challenging places that I've ever sailed. And it's challenging because there are all these hidden rocks. There's there can be very strong currents. Their currents can surprise you sometimes. They can go the opposite direction of what you think they're going to be going. Um, you can go from wind to calm to wind so easily here and from clear sun sunshine days to fog to not being able to see the bow of your boat. It's why you don't see very many charter boats up here like you see in the Bahamas or the Virgin Islands. It's just a, a whole different ballgame up here. It's also why we do our sail training expeditions up in Maine so that people can experience A lot in just a week. But as far as narrow cuts go, Adam, I want to know what happened on that night you were trying to get into Pulpit Harbor to meet up with the Morse Alpha Expedition, who was anchored there. Um, ben said you were
2: going to be there at
0: 6, and then you were going to be there at 7. <laughs> what happened that night?
2: Well, so uh, there wasn't a whole lot of breeze. It was, it was very, very light, and the forecast was for it to fill in a bit, but it took probably an extra two hours, two and a half hours for it to come in. So I was ghosting along at maybe a nod of boat speed. Um uh, times half a knot, and then maybe I get up to two knots. and eventually, after the sunset it it finally started to fill in some. But it's kind of part of engineless sailing is you have to be ready for that. So I, I was actually single handing too at the time. Uh, so it's always a little more fun doing that. But so I just cooked dinner along the way instead of from when I got into the harbor and i I had this delicious meal. I had shrimp tacos and salad and uh, just kind of made it as part of the trip and said, well, this is no big deal. If I'm out here sailing overnight, you know, it, it is what it is. And you have to be kind of prepared for that, that that might happen.
0: Except to be sailing overnight solo is is concerning, right? Because you'll get tired. Everybody does.
2: Yeah. And that's, um that kind of gets into the, you know, the whole single-handed concept, which is kind of tough because there's the aspect where... You know, you can't fully keep watch the whole time. For example, coming down here to the Caribbean, that was single-handed down here. And the reality, you, you can't stay awake the entire time. You do have to sleep. When you're offshore, uh, there's surprisingly few boats out there for all the traffic that there is around you, and it's, it's less of a concern. But when you're coastal in Maine, it is a little trickier um, to your point. So I was coming off of a well-rested night, so I, I could sail pretty deep into the evening. But if it was you know, just coming in, I was a little more tired, there's spots you can pull off to and drop anchor. So it might have been a change in game plan um, of, of where I anchored for the evening. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but always having that plan B, that plan C, that plan D ready to roll just in case or mm-hmm. if the currents ended up switching earlier than expected um, had to be kind of ready. I and mean, it was funny, by the time I got into Pulpit Harbor, Ben and his crew were sound asleep and I, I sailed in, I did a lap around them <laughs> and then the fog started p- coming in and I couldn't, I could barely see, I don't know, two, two boats anchored away from me. And the harbor was pretty crowded at that point. So I decided to get out of there. It just wasn't worth sailing around trying to find a good spot to anchor. And it goes back to kind of that uh, mitigation of, of risk. Um so I sailed down the coast to the next harbor and dropped anchor there mm-hmm. where there was better visibility and I was actually the only boat in there.
0: Yeah, and Pulpit Harbor is a tough harbor to get in and out of.
2: it, it is a little tricky. There's some dangerous rocks
3: there. And it's narrow. Yeah. Like that would be so hard to go into in the dark, period, you know. I'm I'm very impressed, actually. I've I've been in and out of there. It's hard
0: to go into in the daylight too.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right.
0: Yeah, and if the wind isn't perfect, you know, and you can't get that line exactly the direction you want to sail that would even be even more challenging so it sounds like adam what you're talking about is just the flexibility that all sailors need to have to have a plan b a plan c but at a greater level when you're without an engine because you you couldn't motor through it you couldn't um, get there faster to make it in time for dinner (laughs) um so just you have to have even more flexibility to be engineless sailor. Exactly. Um,
2: I was just going to say I do keep a, uh, a a sculling oar on board should I need to maneuver a little bit here and there. But you can't count on that for making any large distance quickly.
0: Right? Oh, so this brings up a good point um, that I wanted to talk to Shemai about because she has some creative ways of of having alternate propulsion on her boat. Sculling being one of them. Shemai, could you tell us a little bit more about
3: that? Yeah, I am really fond of what's called a yulo. That's a Chinese sculling oar, and it has a bend in it and a lanyard, so it's a little hard to describe over, you know, audio, but if people are interested, it's worth looking up. It takes the strain. Instead of how, how Western sculling works, you really have to do a lot with your elbows and your wrists to, to turn the blade, you know, the angle of the oar blade off of the back of the boat. And a YULO does that for you, and you just have to push it back and forth, and it the lanyard turns the corner for the blade rotation. So I use that a lot, and um, it's good, you know, Auckland is just 20 feet long, so it's not a very big boat, but there are folks um, who who sail larger cruising boats with a YULO as their alternative propulsion. And it's really, I don't have that much strength and stamina because of some health issues, but my friends who I learned from a lot about that think not much of anything about going five miles with the ULO pushing their 30-foot boat. And it really, um, it really opens things up. It's just that you cannot go into the wind.
0: So... It, it, for an engine, um, a lot of people consider an engine a piece of safety equipment. Uh, to your point, Adam, that you mentioned earlier, actually both of you mentioned this, it has to be a well-maintained engine to, for it to be safe and reliable. It's also something for comfort so that sailing doesn't have to be hard all the time. It can be relaxing and simple and enjoyable. So it's it's we have them for safety. We have them for comfort and you guys have decided not to have them, is there anything else that you've decided to do without that a lot of people have for safety or for comfort on board? When I think about my own limitations and what I've done without, I still don't use a chart plotter, and I haven't for for forever. And uh, I mean, we we have a chart plotter on board and on our training expeditions, we do have it and we turn it on on the last day or second to last day because um, most people have chart plotters and we want our students to be able to learn to use them. But I find that my navigation skills are much stronger than using a chart plotter, that I can be more um, in tune with what's going on around me, that I see more things when I'm navigating without a chart plotter, that I can see the currents and the winds coming, or I can see weather coming or ships coming. And a lot of these things um, I find go unnoticed when I have a chart plotter and it becomes a little more distracting. And, um, And so for me, the whole experience is more enriching and more fun. And my skills are stronger when I'm sailing without a chart plotter. And I, and I imagine from talking to you two that you feel a little bit the same way about sailing without an engine. So I'm wondering if there are other things that maybe that are kind of the essentials today. Everybody has a chart plotter. Everybody has an engine um, that you think we can do without. Yeah,
2: I've taken kind of a similar route of keeping my boat as simple as possible. Um, so I don't have any roller furling on board. Um, for example, a lot of people are afraid to go up onto the foredeck, especially in heavier weather. Um, but I find if I go up there more frequently, and also if I kind of plan ahead with sail changes, as as everyone should be doing, um, that it ultimately is a safer way to go. And instead of relying mm-hmm. on that furler, and if it goes, you're you can be in trouble. You really have to oversize those. I find to rely on them. Uh, but moving all the rigging mm-hmm. to the mast, um, my windlass is manual. Um, my bilge pumps are all manual too. You know, may- maybe that's that's one of the best examples. Is I don't have an electric bilge pump on board they're all massive Edson gallon per stroke, um, bilge pumps. Um, and I have three of them on board. Um,
0: What happens if you're not on the boat and the boat takes on water?
2: Well, my, my thinking on that is if it takes on enough water, um, that's probably going to kill the batteries and it's, and it's not going to matter at that point.
0: Okay. I mean, I followed you all along with the roller furling cause yep. you know, we took the roller furling off our, our stay. So we kept it on our jib. Um, we, I've, the rigging at the mast, 100%. I'm with you on that one. We rig all our lines to the mast and not to the ca- to the cockpit. And then you said the bilge pump. And we have, I mean, I, I feel like I couldn't have enough bilge pumps on my boat. You got to keep the boat floating. <laughs> and uh, and n- not that we've ever had um, many emergencies where I'm worried about that sort of thing. But um, I can imagine it would be a very stressful time if I if there was an emergency like that. But we have manual and electric you know, with the float switch, we have both.
2: Yeah. And it's um, really, you know, number one on any of that is stopping the leak or at least slowing it down to a point where you can contain it. Um, so that's, that's that's at least my logic on the, uh, on thinking about pumping dewatering. I, I took on some actually coming down here. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the hinges on the the lazarettes were leaking a little bit when I was really healed over and uh, a front coming through. Um, they couldn't drain properly. Um, so you look down, you see a lot of water, and you know just knowing you have that contained, being able to figure out where it's coming from quickly kind of puts your mind at ease and, and moves you away from being able to, to kind of panic in that situation. Mm-hmm. And, and then then you can move to dewatering.
3: Mm-hmm. How about you, Shamaya? Have you found other ways to simplify yeah, in addition to the engine? Yeah, I've had that same kind of, oh, how can this be not heavily reliant on more gadgets? I resisted a chart plotter for such a long time a really really long time i did use a gps where i could get the latitude and longitude off of it which i found really comforting and i i had that almost from the beginning of the cruising sailing that i did but i just thought oh chart plotters yeah well and um and then because of the race to alaska i got one I I had gotten a little handheld one, but the image was confusing. But what it did that I really liked was sailing at night. Like around here, there's Mount Desert Rock. It's about 10 miles off and you kind of need to clear it if you're going to go somewhere farther. And it's
0: the best place to see whales. Yeah, right,
3: (laughs) right. Of course, when it's dark, that kind of blows that. but. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But you have to make sure you don't run into it. And in the dark, you know, it's got a light on it, but you can't really judge your distance off from a light in the dark. So the first couple of times I went by there in the dark, it it was really stressful making sure that you're not too close. You know, it's a horrible rocky thing if you did get too close. And so with the little chart plotter, you can do your distance off. And the next time I went by just with a little tiny one, it was much more relaxing. And then for the race to Alaska preparation, the organizers of that race really, really encourage racers to have a a chart plotter of some kind that's for real. And because the Pacific Northwest is not familiar to me to sail in at all, I've never gotten to sail there. I thought that was prudent to get it for that. So I got a better handheld one. And I've gotten very fond of that for the fog and at night. And sometimes in Maine, in the really confusing islands, if you lose track of which island you're in between in like a, in one of those areas that has like 10 islands in a very small area, there's small islands, there's little channels in between each one. Um, and it's important to know which one you're in between because of where the rocks are under the water. I I've gotten fond of the chart plotter. I'm like, oh, it's my friend now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Shamaya, if you ever get a chance to go to the Pacific Northwest to sail, I'd say that's my second most favorite place to sail besides Maine. Uh, If you love Maine, it's so beautiful. Oh, I would love to. I just and actually, the first time I the first time I sailed up there was in an engineless boat doing some cruising with students. Uh I would say that's that was some. Pretty serious training grounds for me as a young professional (laughs) trying to figure out this world, but it was a lot of fun and, and uh, challenging and just, just like Maine in that way, Mm -hmm. all the
3: islands and Mm -hmm.
0: things like that. uh, Great place to sail.
3: I just wanted to say about the simplifying things. The other thing was the junk rig, which has been huge. That's made such a difference because it reefs completely easily you don't have to you don't have to tie anything to reef it you just you just uncleat the halyard and let it down or raise it up and there's a couple other adjusty lines that you can change but it doesn't it just will sail better if you take the time to do that but um that made things a lot easier and that was my motivation for changing to junk rig was because of the reefing, but overall it's made life a lot easier. And I saw that you
0: had a junk rigged, junk rigged Portland pudgy as well. Yeah,
3: that's right. <laughs> yep. We, we did that. We love
0: the Portland pudgy. I was
3: sailing a lot in the Bay where I live with the pudgy and, you know, just going out for fun and the wind level changes a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. especially up in the bays here and the sailing rig that comes with the pudgy the reefing arrangement isn't done so well anyway and with a junk rig you can change you can reef and unreef just like nothing you know just so Mm -hmm. easy so you can actually get around and feel safe when the wind comes up And get the sail area back again when the wind drops because you know there's no engine on the pudgy (laughs) Mm -hmm. so you can get home again because you have more sail area as soon as you want it
0: well i i love the portland pudgy and have um done some long trips on it actually packed food and sleeping bags and whatnot in that tiny little dinghy (laughs) Yeah, it's a fun boat. In fact, I also wanted to do the race to Alaska and had the same problem as you just getting myself in a boat over to the other coast in this country um, and then a boat that I could train on. And I thought, well, the only one the only one I could train on here and then actually get over there would be a Portland Pudgy. So I thought, I kind of toyed with the idea for a while of doing that race in a Portland Pudgy, but I think if I had done that, I'd still be going. Yeah, right. It's <laughs> a pretty slow boat. Um so I have another question for you all about, uh, sailing without an engine. Have you had to make any specific changes to your boat or get any additional equipment to support engineless sailing?
2: Yeah. So my, the kind of the, the favorite thing I've, I've done here is instead of buying diesel fuel, I'm now investing in sales. Um, so I have way more sales to the boat than I probably would have had, um, if I did have an engine or most people have when they have an engine. So it's being able to go through kind of the, the full gambit, um, and really, it's the lighter air um, that's, that's the problem. You know, We certainly have storm sails um, and all that, but looking at the light air side, so um, picking up a drifter or a code zero um, can make all the difference. All of a sudden, conditions where it's only blowing five knots, you can actually be moving the boat at a different, decent speed um, and can be having fun with it. Um, and, and it's kind of a neat challenge, um, and, it, and it's fun shifting gears in order to keep the boat moving through about any, any situation with that. Additional equipment we talked before is some other means of, of propulsion. Um, so the, the sculling oar um, I picked up when I went engineless. But then one other thing to consider, because my boat was designed with an engine in it, um, pulling the engine out really changed the trim of the boat. Um, it was it was kind of way forward after pulling it out. So I had to think about where I'd put gear and, and moving things around. And, you know, the folding bikes I put where the engine was um, didn't weigh nearly as much. Um, so I, I had to think about other things moving it around. And I now have more water on board because I have another tank way aft now. Um, that that helps to, to balance out the boat some.
3: Mm-hmm. Shamaya, did you make any, any changes? Um, not changes to the boat, but I added having a push pole so that besides the yulo um, especially in shallower water there's an easy way to just move the boat along it's about it's a 10 foot pole some people use 12 feet but I didn't really have enough storage space for that to be so manageable but that's that's made Mm -hmm. a real big difference I won't leave anywhere without a push pole nowadays. It's so perfect. Mm-hmm. And,
2: and kind of with that, Teresa, on the, the kind of propulsion category, um, your, your boat, what you're really concerned about at the end of the day for the most part is, is the boat moving over the, the water itself. So when you're in places where there's high levels of current, your anchor can actually help you considerably on that front. For example, when I was going down the Chesapeake a few months ago, when the current was with me, I could keep moving the boat when the, when the wind was entirely dead. But when it turned against me, when I dropped anchor, it was still like I was making ground over the waters. The current was rushing past me. So being able to anchor easily, quickly, it, it works as quite a resource for you to kind of hold your ground um, in, in a lot of situations. I
0: think a lot of these lessons too are, are good for even when you have an engine, I'm sure the skills that you're learning sailing engineless, like if you hopped on an engine, a boat with an engine, you would just be that more adaptable or more ready because you have more tricks in your bag. or Yeah, tricks in the bag. Absolutely. <laughs> Resources. Absolutely. <laughs> definitely. Yeah, definitely.
3: And the anchors, <laughs> the thing about the anchors too, besides stopping the boat, which it's so crucial for that when the current starts going the other way, is you can use two anchors to advance the boat If, you know, if you don't have to go very far, but for moving in harbors, you can have one anchor down. I haven't done this much because I didn't used to take a dinghy with me anywhere, but the friends that I've learned from who sail engineless in southeast Alaska do this a lot, and they kedge places to move around a harbor. You know, they'll row one anchor forward and pull the boat forward and pull up the other anchor and leapfrog to wherever they want to go. You
0: know, Shamaya, I've actually done this before on an engineless boat. I was in Port Clyde Harbor and I was tied up at the dinghy dock in a 30 foot engineless open sailing rowing boat. Uh-huh. And when the wind comes comes funneling into that that port, which is a pretty tight little port, it just presses the boat right onto the dock there. And I wanted to leave. And um, I didn't have a dinghy, the boat I was in, the 30 foot rowing sailing boat was actually a, a giant <laughs> dinghy um, so instead of rowing an anchor out I swam an anchor out. oh that's great yes it was really adventurous I wrapped it in a life jacket I wore a life jacket myself and swam it out and, uh, and then was able to pull the bow of the dinghy into the wind off the dock so it's perpendicular in the dock and then from there put the, the eight foot oars out on either side and row um, away from the dock as I pulled up the anchor so that was that's that's in a pulling boat with Outward Bound, and that was really the most formative time of my sailing career was sailing those boats and just being so connected to all the elements, being so close to the water, rowing, sailing, and all of that. And it was from there that I bought my own boat, and I decided I wanted – it was a North 27. I decided I wanted to pare things down, live with less, and just have all the essentials, and that's it, and uh, try to live – really simply and so at one point I did consider not having an engine and um I, I kept the engine because for me it didn't make any sense because removing it would just devalue the boat so much for the resale and I knew in a few years I'd want to sell it. Um so I kept the engine. I also liked having the engine but um I did toy with the idea and of having of continuing that engineless experience on my own boat. Um And I realized that the experience I was having, I was onto a new experience and that removing the engine probably wouldn't have enriched enriched that experience for myself in that time of my life. And so I want to know from you guys that if if engine-less, and I, I hear from you over and over that sailing without an engine is enriching your experience, has there ever been a time while you're doing this that you thought, oh man- that day could have been more enriching, or could have, have have been a better experience for me. I could have lived that day more fully if I had had an engine.
2: Well, I, I guess the the tough part with that is you you really don't know how that day could have turned out differently. And and you're uh, you know it's kind of that theory of you know the grass is always greener on the other side. And I, I you know I've had I've had a day where I've been in the middle of the ocean. It's been pure glass around me, and I've had a sunfish swimming laps around me. And, you know, instead of kind of beating myself up saying, oh, I wish I had an engine right now, um, we pull out some books, we cooked an amazing meal. You know, Alice and I had a, a great time together out there and it was a little bit hot and, and maybe it could have, you know, would have been a little cooler if we were motoring. But it's, um, I, I think it's just a different experience. And, you know, we have met new people as a result of not having an engine and ending up in ports or different ports than we intended. Um, so I don't think I'd take any of that back. Um, it's, it's just kind of a different type of adventure.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that as far as the time that I've spent sailing without an engine that I, I have liked that a lot. Sometimes it goes on too long, especially single-handing, because you like what you were talking about earlier, Teresa. If if it's gotten dark, it's taking hours longer than maybe what you had in mind. At some point, you have to rest, and if you're near the coast, that's that's a tricky thing. But um, the thing that happened for me was I came back from a long season of sailing and uh, without the engine, and I felt like you know what? I think I'm done, just done sailing. And, you know, I've done a lot of sailing. It was reasonable to think I could be done. And it took until March for me to feel like I wanted to go sailing again, or, or be on the water. And what I realized was that it was hard. It, that, and particularly without an engine was hard. Also, awkward isn't quite so comfortable um, as far as having to scramble around and so so it's kind of funny to be doing this podcast just now because i actually switched to a different boat that has electric motors on it and where i notice now kind of the answer to your question is that in situations where i do use the motor because i sailed engineless for so long I, I know how much energy it would have taken, you know, human energy to do the same thing. And I think, oh, my God, this is so much easier. And it opens up more possibilities for being <laughs> being more like, oh, I want to go here now, you know, which engineless You can have situations where it's like, no, you're just not going to get there for quite a while. And you, you adjust your head to be able to do that. Like what Adam said, you know, you're out there and you see things you just never would have seen if you were going to motor when it was all glassy. And that's beautiful. And I love that. But I also like not having to get so tired. I really appreciate that.
0: I, I actually think that is a really wonderful plug for engineless sailing <laughs> or for just... Sailing in general, um, because I think if you never have a trip where you say to yourself, I'm done, and I've had those trips. In fact, when we bought our boat in Panama and sailed it up to Maine, we're like, I'm done. (laughs) We're selling this boat, even though we just (laughs) bought it. Um, That was a rough, a challenging trip, but we're still doing it. And if we never have those, those kinds of challenges, I think that's like the best part about sailing and about this life. Is when you have those moments and you can look back on them.
2: Well, yeah, the the really far down lows make the highs that much better, um, and and it can be an emotional roller coaster on on any passage. And and engineless is certainly you know as as you said, Shmaya, it's not the easy way to go. Um, it is much more of a challenge, um, and and you have to get in the mindset for it to make it worth it. Um, and it's certainly not for everyone. Um, you know, there's a, a lot of people, and I, I think what kind of ruins it for most people is being tied to a land schedule. So as soon as you let that land schedule get in the way or kind of dictate your course or where you're going, that's what makes it that much more stressful. If you can kind of be fully in sync with the environment and saying, you know what, I'm, I'm along for the ride and I'm going to make it work with, with what's around me, then that's a different story. You know, we, we did add electric to ours as well, even though we really don't use it very much. You know, it, it can be nice once in a while to be able to explore an area that you otherwise couldn't have seen um, that would have been impossible to get to.
0: So, so I have a question. Um, so much of sailing, well, you're, you're by yourself a lot unless you're sailing with somebody. A lot of our students for our more self expeditions come with um, a partner or a spouse that they're going to be sailing with and cruising with. And, and very often one person is more enthusiastic about it than the other or for me I've gone sailing to the Caribbean I've gone to beautiful places where I want friends to visit and even my most adventurous friends sometimes it's really challenging to get them to come down and stay on the boat for a week or two or even a weekend and so I wonder you know with an en- without an engine you're asking people to be even more rugged or more flexible or more adventurous and I wonder how this has this choice has impacted your relationships with friends or romantic relationships? How has it impacted that?
2: Teresa, I, I would say it's all about setting expectations up front. For example, I, I do have some friends coming down to join me down here. And it's asking them to say, you know what, if, if you want to come down, which I'd love to have you come down, um, it's being more flexible on booking flights and, and booking a little bit more last minute, because I'm not entirely sure where I'm going to be. Um, the Windsor- pretty consistent down here. So, you know, I can stick to a little bit more of a schedule. Um, but, but I think it's really explaining that upfront to people. And the reality is those people who aren't quite as adventurous probably aren't going to come along, but there's no reason you can't do other activities with them. Um, and I guess on the the, the, the other side with Allison, um, she was actually the one that nudged me to, to put an electric motor in. And she was smart in how she did it. Um, you know, I think she knows my engineering side and that would be fun to give me a challenge. Um, so I, I took her up on it and that did allow us a little more flexibility. It kind of puts our, our parents at ease a little bit more at times they've both spent a lot, all of them spent a lot of time on the water but it's it's nice to have that option if you do need to move out of a, a shipping lane quickly or if you do want to go that last half mile and you're absolutely exhausted to to have that. Electric engine. So, you know, it was kind of nice that she did that. But, you know, we certainly go through times when we say, well, maybe it might be nice if we were in port right now. But then it's all about how do you transform the situation together on the water? How, how can you actually make this fun? So, you know, we, we help each other out. Um, you know, as, as we do in, in regular life, but also to kind of boost each other's morale if, if one of us gets down a little about something. And, and we've experienced that on, on boats with engines too, in certain races when conditions have just gotten absolutely miserable. Everyone else is seasick except for the two of us. And, um, and we've we've been through a lot together. So, you know, it's, it's continuing to kind of push each other a little bit.
3: And for me, it's been that same thing. Trying to meet up with people has been complicated without a without a motor and not so much about the people feeling adventurous, but just making the timing to, to meet up and plan where we're going to go. I have a friend who's a very dedicated sailor and she works three days a week. And so trying to do something that fits and doesn't make a hazard for that schedule is really challenging. And we don't sail as much together because of that. So there's that. And there's how I knew when it was time to take the training wheels, you know, the electric motor off of the boat when I was motorless in training was when I started recognizing, oh, this is, this is messing with other people's schedules. I was fine. The boat was fine. There was no problem except for somebody else's schedule that I was trying to meet them. And so I had to turn the motor on or drive them crazy. And then when I took the motor off the boat, then it's like, well, this is just the situation. There is no motor. Let's talk about how to do this differently. And for my own skills, how to make plans that I knew could work with that the boat had no motor. So that was kind of cool, actually. Um, but it did have an impact on other people. And the other thing off on that tangent that I wanted to say is when I first started sailing the P-Pen, which is a 12-foot cruising sailboat, it's a micro cruiser. it's a crazy little thing. And when I first started sailing that, I was very laid up and I had crew with me, um, both doing assisting stuff and they were doing almost all the physical action on the boat, but they were mainly people who didn't know how to sail. And I was telling them how to do this or that or the other thing. And we only had a trolling motor for the motor on that boat. And we were we were cruising down um, the Connecticut River to Long Island Sound and along the shore there. And I did not realize quite what I was taking on because a small trolling motor is has a short range. It's very good for in and out of like a dock system or something, but you're really not going to go a distance before the battery has just had it. And those folks were very intrepid to do that with me. I hope they hear this podcast if you keep this segment in it, because they were amazing for adventurousness and i didn't even know what i was taking on to sail that boat with such a minimal motor to even be able to tell them well we're doing this thing that's really um it has aspects of it that are unpredictable
0: (laughs) i also love what you said earlier Shemaya, about essentially just the perspective, the shift you had when you took the engine off your boat and how it was about that you were using the engine to meet other people's expectations. And by removing it from the boat, you were basically changing their expectations. Uh, You no longer had a motor. You couldn't turn it on and buzz over there. And so they they had to work with you, you know, and make new plans and new expectations (laughs) for when you would meet up. Mm Mm-hmm.
2: Um, uh, On the the topic of meeting up with friends, I had actually been trying to catch up with a couple of friends since we were up in Maine this past summer, and we missed them by a day. It was kind of a bummer, but it was certainly because we were engineless, because we couldn't get to where they were. But they were very understanding of all of it, and um, we finally got to meet up uh, three nights ago down here in St. Thomas. They were doing some sailing with John Kretschmer. So we, we all got together and had a blast and we actually met two nights in a row. And it made it that much more fun to get together. It was just so much more of an adventure and, and more anticipation leading up to it. And um, we, we had so much fun together and there were even more stories to share. So everything kind of has a way of working out in the end. And it, it's just all about being more flexible and especially having good friends. They, they always understand um, those situations. Actually, when those friends came on board, they hadn't been on the boat I think since I pulled the engine, and and they were just like, "Oh my God, your your boat smells clean. It smells like wood. It doesn't smell like a 1969 built boat." And it, it's amazing what not having the engine does for for kind of the smell of the bilge and beyond.
0: I call that the boat smell.
2: Yeah.
3: <laughs>
0: I know that smell, and so you're saying it's mostly because of the engine. I mean, I you can sometimes it, sometimes you can smell it on your clothes, like like if Ben's doing projects on the boat and he's working there all day and he comes home, I'm like, oh, your shirt smells like boat, or your car. His car always smells like boat.
2: <laughs> oh, exactly, and and I think I think there's two parts too. I think one part is the engine, and then the other part is uh, is mold on the boat. And so if you clean out all the mold and you have no engine, it, the smells just gone. It just smells wonderful on board all the time. Yeah, with some exceptions, yeah, you, know, you obviously have to clean the head here and there, right? <laughs> More
0: than here and there, <laughs> every day, every day. Yeah, I actually,
2: yeah, I use a uh, a mix of vinegar and water um, to to spray it down daily. It works great because um, it's again all natural, no chemicals, and and uh, keeps keeps it all fresh. This we use pretty much everywhere on board.
3: The other thing I'd love to talk about is how long the calms can go on for, and if you're way off to sea, then that's not that's not really an issue you just wait and like adam said you know make some good food or read or do something but when you're near the coast like within say five miles or 10 miles of the coast itself the wind can stop and you can just be there for a really long time like 12 hours 24 hours and just you know maybe minimally drifting but nothing happening as far as actually sailing you know one time I did that had that happen it was foggy and I was like the wind stopped at the end of the day and it went all through the night and into the next day and further into the next day and lobster guys would come up you know and I'm like Way out there, and they're like, Are you okay? And I'm like, Yeah, yeah, I'm good. You know, they're like, Do you need anything? I'm like, Can you make the wind blow? (laughs) (laughs) And and another time I was out um, off of Damaris Cove, about 10 miles out, and the Coast Guard actually came out. They said, You know, we've seen you out here because I had AIS on Auklet so that I wouldn't get run into, particularly in the fog, you know, so ships could see where i was and so the coast guard was seeing that too you know and they came out to just check you know <laughs> they just think you're mm-hmm. out of your mind because you're in this 20 foot boat and you've been there for the last 12 hours <laughs> but
0: <laughs> well you might have to be out of your mind a little bit yeah, right fillers no, that way a little <laughs> but i i love that story cuz you had um, lobster fishers and Coast Guard coming up to you. I, I mean, I like that these people were out there willing and concerned and willing to help. I think that's a really nice example of community. Oh there. yeah,
3: yeah. That, I love that. Even though that, you didn't need help <laughs> about boats overall, is people mm-hmm. do care, and it's really something with the lobster guys because oftentimes, like I don't listen to the channel on the radio that has the lobster conversational lobster stuff because I think the folks are scary. And I don't want to be afraid of everybody in the lobster boats. but um, And Mm -hmm. I know that's not everybody. And I'm friends with some folks who lobster. But if you listen to that radio, it can be really scary. But people come up, you know, how the lobster fishing community treats you when you're in a small boat is just, you know, just checking. And that comes up more because of not having a motor, because you're not purposefully going forward in a lot of situations and i appreciate that and it and it feels good to know that folks are looking out for each other and you see more of that Mm -hmm. engineless because you're at least i've found that because you're in a situation that people aren't sure how is it you know that you're drifting around for a long time and so it is it is a good thing it lets you know something about people that you might not have known otherwise yeah,
2: I've experienced the, the same, Shammai. It is uh, People generally on on boats, especially if they're on the working boats or, or sailboats, are, are very kind. I've been offered tows in, and like, I've politely declined every time. But it, it's just nice to know someone is is looking out for you as well out there. And it's nice to be able to return the favor. I, um, I I don't know how many times I've been asked if I wanted a tow in my rowing dinghy. I think I have the only rowing dinghy in all the Caribbean here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And, uh I, I, it's been at least a couple dozen times in the last uh, month and a half down here um, <laughs> but I, I I do recall one time back home in New Bedford I, I gave a a toe to a uh, to a rib uh, w- with a motor that had died with my rowing dinghy and that was quite a sight um <laughs> oh, that's
3: perfect <laughs> um, but
2: I but it's uh, but it's funny how it translates to dinghies. Um I, I love rowing the dinghy. Back in New Bedford, I I row on um, whaleboats with a. There's a crew of six of us on there. They're 26 feet long. We row all around the harbor, outside the harbor, um, and it, it's kind of neat to keep some of those traditions going. And mm, and maybe that's I've... another part of why we like this is is tradition. Yes,
3: absolutely.
2: It, you know, mm-hmm. it's certainly.
0: Adam, I bet those whaleboats are a lot like the pulling boats that I've rowed and sailed. Yes. I am. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's fun.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and, And you can actually, if we had a motor on there, I don't know that we could actually have the conversations that we have. I mean, we have some pretty deep conversations all together and you actually get to know everyone on board as opposed to just kind of blasting through the waves and you know, probably just getting soaking wet.
0: So I have one last question for both of you. I want to know what's next. What are your future plans?
3: Well, my thing is the boat that I'm sailing now is not Auckland. It's it's the sailing barge that is not designed to be able to sail upwind. It'll go a little bit upwind in perfect situations, but it, it won't generally because it's designed for comfort and it has a lot of windage. As far as I'm concerned, that's not safe to try to run motorless because if you get into something, you can't sail upwind to get out of it. So... So I have the electric motors. It is fun. They're solar. They're solar powered. There's Because you have this big cabin, there's room on the cabin top for a lot of solar panels, which it has. So that's keeping up with the motoring. And I do still go under sail to get where I'm going a lot. And I like that. And I time, you know, really to make this boat work. It's really good to time with the current and with the wind direction, so I'm planning to keep doing that. I'm looking forward to it a lot.
2: Yeah, and I. It, so I'm going to be spending the rest of the winter um, down the the Caribbean. I'll I'll be heading back up middle of May, somewhere around there, to to get back to um, join some friends for a race that we've been doing together for 20 years now. And and following that, I'm going to be up in Maine cruising on this boat some more. And in particular, I have to make sure I'm there in September for my wedding. Otherwise, I think I'll be in real trouble. So that's all the more reason to, to cruise Maine and be up that way. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but following that, I, I, I think we'll have to, to see what happens. You know, I, I suspect in the, the near future, there'll be more than just me and Allison. So, um, you know, we probably will need to step to something a little bit larger. Otherwise, you get kind of tight on this boat, which will be fun, I think. Um, but it, but it may demand sticking to land schedules and, and God forbid we put an engine in the boat, but that, that might end up happening. (laughs) So I, I think, you know, kind of the, the future is wide open on that. Um, but it certainly won't slow down our exploring. You know, I'd love to do Norway, Scotland, you know, would, would love to go all the way around the world, but it's, uh. You know it's, it's all kind of a balance and we'll have to to see how things work out but you know kind of remaining curious and in this boat's kind of an r d platform for me for all sorts of to various projects and testing things out whether it's new rigging concepts or um you know, i designed my own water maker recently and and put that in so i i i think it's you know we're, we're not going to change our sailing style too much in any way but you know it could be on a new platform and and um, the years to come one more thing i, I kind of wanted to add that i i think we missed hitting earlier was with the the engineless and the electric motors it's it's looking at also a different level in, of environmental responsibility and i recognize in the whole scheme of things that a diesel engine really isn't polluting that much compared to our power plants or, or other larger more wasteful energy generation locations but um yeah, there's nothing that ruins a pristine anchorage faster than diesel fumes and, it, and it's kind of nice to be kind of fully in sync with the environment. You know, what you pull in from your wind generator and your solar panels are all that you can use. So you really have to kind of plan carefully and, and work with that and, and kind of minimize your impact. Obviously, kind of every piece of equipment you put on the boat has an impact looking at the overall life cycle of it. But if, if we can kind of start to minimize that a little bit, I, I think it goes a long way. So it's something Alice and I have certainly considered and we'll kind of carry forward with us in the future with with kind of our boating decisions.
3: Yeah, mm,
0: I love that. Uh, thank thank you both so much for talking with me today. Shamaya, if you're ever near Rockland, please let me know. I'd love to meet you in person. And Adam, when you get up here in Maine, I'll take you sailing with a toddler and we'll let your real training
3: begin.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. That's a whole new adventure. <laughs> yes.
3: <laughs> well, thank you, Teresa. Thank you both so much. Thank you so yeah, much, thank Teresa. Thank you. This has been fun.
0: Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to the Morning Muster wherever you get your podcasts or visit MorseAlpha.com. You can also find us on Instagram at MorseAlphaExpeditions.
1: The music is by Tim Erickson, my brother, and you can find him at timericksonmusic.com.
0: Until next time, stay found.